service this morning is going to be just a little bit different than anything that um, we normally do here at City Church. There's a 19th century Scottish pastor by the name of Robert Murray McShane who once uh, famously said this. He said, what a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. Let me read that again. What a man is alone on his knees before God, that he is and no more. And I got to thinking, if this is true of a man, why would it not be equally true of a church? For a lot of years, I personally have felt convicted that one of the reasons the church in America is dying and is so weak is that it prays so little. Used to be a day, some of you remember this, when you could hold a prayer service in a church on a, I don't know, let's say a Sunday evening, and people would come out and they would gather together to pray. But, you know, times have changed. We're more busy. I think, too, we seem less convinced about the necessity of prayer. And I also think that maybe we're even less convinced about the potential of just a single church to change a city. So we don't really think that there's much need to pray. Church is just something you do, you check off a box, and you forget about it. And we forget that the local church is God's ordained institution to change the world. Regardless of the reason, from the very beginning of Jesus' revolution, it has been clear that the only power the local church has is that which comes from our prayers. We're told in the New Testament that our fight is against spiritual forces. This is a spiritual battle that the church is in. The only weapon against spiritual forces is prayer. And what greater weapon is there than the prayers of not just one, not just dozens, but even hundreds of people praying together? So we made a commitment as as a staff and as a board of elders that this year we would begin to pray as a church together. And since it's so hard to get people to come out on a Sunday night or some other night of the week for prayer... We decided that we'd take a few Sunday mornings each year and devote them to just corporate prayer. So the program that you were given when you came in this morning that says Collide, well, we were doing a series on Collide where emotions meet truth in the Psalms, but we're not doing that today. This whole service is going to be about prayer. Those of you who are here today maybe for the first time, you need to know that this isn't a typical Sunday morning for us. Most Sundays are like church services that you may have been accustomed to in the past, only this one's better. Am I kidding? Am I serious? Which am I? But this is our way of prioritizing prayer. This, I want you to know that we're not going to do anything that's going to make you feel uncomfortable, I promise you. The service is going to be interactive. There are going to be things that you participate in. It's also going to have a number of elements in it. Some of these you might not be familiar with. Or maybe they'll even seem kind of old and dated. But the reason that we have included these elements is because we think it's very important 
that we as a church connect back to our ancient roots from time to time to remind ourselves of those who came before us and on whose shoulders we stand today. There are people who have given up their very lives so that the revolution of Jesus Christ would continue and so that we could meet as a church here today. The focus of this service today is going to be, this prayer service is going to be healing. And before you get too excited, I just want you to know that I can't perform healings. As pastors go, you got gypped with me. I can't do healings. Wish I could, but I can't. But we know who can heal. And so today, we're going to bring groups of people together who need healing of some kind, and we're going to bring them to the throne of grace. Not that we're going to have anybody come up front, but we're going to pray for specific groups of people, and you'll, understand, you'll see how that works a little later on in the service. But before we ask things from the Lord today, we're going to start by praising God together, not only with songs. We've started that with some of the songs that we have done today. But we're going to do that also with a lit, what's called a litany of praise to God. I'd just like to ask you if you would to stand with me. And I'll read the line that is marked by the letter J for Jeff, and you'll read the line in bold marked by the letter C for congregation, church, whatever, however that speaks to you, okay? So let me start. With praise and thanksgiving, let us pray to God through whom all things are accomplished. Eternal God and creator of all things, we give you high praise for the good work that you do among us. For our baptism in faith, for your forgiveness of our sins, for the founding of our church, and for its sustaining by your gracious hand. For the unity of the Holy Spirit, for the saving work of your Son, Jesus, our Lord, in whose name you give us our mission. For those who give so generously and so sacrificially to sustain this, your church. For those who volunteer to teach our children and our students, for the men and women who serve on our parking team and our first impressions team. For our elders and our staff. For the leaders and hosts of our city life groups. God from whom the blessings flow. 
just remain standing from the very beginning of the revolution of Jesus the writers of scripture believed that it was not only important for believers to have faith but to place that faith in the God who is accurately described in the scriptures if we don't have faith in that God we really don't have faith they were also concerned that young converts might stray from the truth of God as it's described in the scriptures and fall prey to false teaching and to heresy. Throughout the history of the church, leaders of the church would convene at times of conflict about specific points of doctrine. And after careful study of the Bible, those church leaders would write what was called a creedal statement. And that creedal statement would clarify the particular point of doctrine over which the controversy had arisen. And then that creedal statement was used in churches to teach believers correct doctrine, because doctrine matters. One such creedal statement is called the Nicene Creed. It is named the Nicene Creed because it was the product of a council that met a city called Nicaea, which is in modern-day Turkey. This particular council was convened in part because a man named Arius was teaching that Jesus wasn't God. That's very important, because if Jesus isn't God, then he can't be an acceptable sacrifice for our sins. We're going to read this creed together, and as we do... Pay special attention to how much of this creed takes care to articulate clearly what the Bible teaches about Jesus. Join me and let's read this creed out loud together. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, became incarnate, the Virgin Mary, was made man. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. And on the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead 
his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, giver of life, proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified. He has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism, forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead, the life of the world to come. Amen. You can be seated. You think to yourself, well, gosh, that was written in 8325. What in the world could that have to do with life today. I told you that the man who was teaching the false doctrine was named Arius. The doctrine was called Arianism. And that doctrine taught, again, that Jesus Christ wasn't divine. He was human. He was made, but he wasn't divine. Again, you wonder how in the world could that be relevant today? Well, that is what Jehovah's Witnesses today believe the doctrine of Arianism, that Jesus wasn't God. So we recite this creed to remind ourselves that Jesus is indeed God. Did you notice how much of that creed was spent articulating who Jesus is? I'm going to ask the ushers, if you would, go ahead and come on up and take the offering. And if you're new to our church and you filled out a Connect card, just put that Connect card in the bucket. And that's really all that we want from you. The rest of you, it's an opportunity to give offerings to the Lord. In the Bible, every time that a person was given the opportunity to see a glimpse of God, every time that person felt compared, uh, excuse me, compelled to declare God's holiness and their own sinfulness. Often people in our culture think that this is one of the problems with Christianity, that it creates negative self-esteem because it focuses too much on our imperfections. But really nothing could be further from the truth. And I want to illustrate that for you in this way. Imagine for the moment that I were to watch two videos. One video is my golf swing. The other video is the golf swing of, say, Phil Mickelson. We're both lefties. That's why I say that. When I compare our golf swings, I would be in awe of his swing. How smooth it is. How effortless it is. How far he hits it and how straight he hits it. And it would become very obvious to me that I fall far short of Phil's swing. Now saying that wouldn't create negative self-esteem in me. It would simply be an accurate statement of how far short my golf swing is compared to Phil Mickelson's. In reality, it would be a statement of self-awareness. Like to think that my golf swing is as good as Phil Mickelson's would be great delusion. I wouldn't be living in reality if I believed that. When we compare ourselves to a holy God, in the same manner, 
we naturally see our own imperfections. As an act of self-awareness, as a demonstration of our awareness that we live in this reality, that we are not self-deluded, it's good to state out loud where we fall short of God and to ask His forgiveness. This is called confession. And like praise, which we've just done, it's an important part of prayer. We're going to confess our sins together, collectively, as a church. And I'll read again the part Mark J, and you read the part that's Mark C, but let's draw near together as a church with a true heart, and let's confess our sins to God our Father, asking Him in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is God and man, to grant us forgiveness. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. confess that we have broken God's law as it is fulfilled and embodied by God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God said to his people, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. He said, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Honor your father and mother. You shall not murder. shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet. Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you redemption that you have made possible by your death on the cross. Today we affirm that we are indeed sinners and that you are indeed holy. And we affirm that because of the fact that you are holy and we are not, that the gospel is about your performance, not ours. The gospel is about you and what you have done, not about us and what we have done. 
And, oh, Lord, we thank you so much for that because apart from you, your great love for us is demonstrated on the cross. We would be lost and without hope in the world. It's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we worship and pray. Amen. the church began, it became immediately apparent that people of all different kinds of backgrounds, walks of life, came together in this local church, but that meant that, well, you were bringing a lot of baggage into the church, because all of us have baggage, right? 
The early church was composed of Jews and Gentiles who at that time didn't get along at all. The Jews thought the Gentiles were, well, they thought they were, you know, dirty pigs. And so the Apostle Paul was very concerned about unity in the local church. Because if the Lord Jesus Christ can't bring people together as one of different, diverse backgrounds, then there can't be really any reality to the gospel. You know, conflict is all over our culture. Different political parties, different races, men, women, different beliefs, the one place where people of all kinds of diverse backgrounds can come together and be unified is the local church. And so the Apostle Paul wrote this to the church at Ephesus, and it applies to us as well. He wrote, Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called one Lord well there might be many political parties represented here but one Lord who is greater than all of those political parties one faith no matter what background you came from what we all believe here is that the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of humanity and was raised again from the dead and we worship him one faith and one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all, Paul said. We're going to take communion in just a moment. I'm going to ask the ushers if you would go ahead and you can go on back and prepare the elements of communion. You know, the thing about communion is that we take it together as a church, all of us from all of these different backgrounds. What communion does, well, there's a number of things it does. One of the things it does is it reminds us that every single one of us falls short of the glory of God, that we all bring baggage in. There may be somebody in this church who really irritates you. Their personality gets on your nerves, their voice. You can't even stand to hear them talk. But when you take communion, you're reminded that you have issues too, that you're a sinner just like that person. And that Jesus Christ had to die on the cross for you as well as for that person. And so we take it together as a church. And what we do when we take it is that we affirm that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we affirm that the only way that the sins of humanity could be forgiven is through the death of Jesus Christ. God and man, the perfect sacrifice. And the only acceptable sacrifice for our sins. The one who embodied all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. All of those pointed to Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. So the ushers are going to go ahead and they're going to come on up. And they're going to pass out the elements, the body, the bread that represents the body of Christ, the cup that represents the blood of Christ. And if you would just hold on to those, we'll go ahead and take those elements together.
represents the body of Christ and the blood that the cup that represents the blood of Jesus Christ I'd like for you to do something kind of unique today we said that this what Christ did on the cross brings people of all kinds of backgrounds together in one place we're really the only place in the world that can do that is the local church so I'm going to ask those of you Democrats to give thanks for your Republican brothers and sisters. And those of you who are Republicans, would you quietly give thanks for your Democrat brothers and sisters in Christ? Would you do that now? Just quietly. And I'm going to ask those of you who are white in this congregation to give thanks for your black brothers and sisters in Christ. Those of you who are black, to give thanks for your white brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to ask those of you who are men to affirm this morning the significance, the importance, and the equal value of women in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank him for your sisters in Christ. Amen. And ladies, would you thank the Lord for your brothers in the Lord Jesus Christ? On the night before Jesus died, he piece of bread and he held it up and he said to his disciples that this bread represents my body which was broken for you. He said, when you eat this, do so in remembrance of me. 
you know, we live in a culture that talks a lot about and values self-esteem. And as I said earlier, one of the things that many people in our culture would say is that this whole thing of confessing your sin, well, gosh, that's just, that just lowers people's self-esteem. It's too much focus on the negative. But here's the thing. If your value is in something other than the cross of Jesus Christ, your value is always changing. If your value, for instance, is in your career, well, you know what? I, I know a, a number of men who are retired who would tell you that if your value is in your career, when you are, re, you are retired, you will have no value. There are people that I know that would say, well, you know, my value is in my beauty, but let me tell you, over time, beauty changes and it fades away. And if that's where your value is, that will change. Other people will say, well, you know, my value is in how much other people think of me. And I would say, well, what if they change their mind? What if they die? Then your value goes like that. Is there any way that you can have value, that you can understand and know your value and know that it is always the same, that you are valued not in spite of your flaws and sins, but with every single one of them. Is there a place that you could do that? Yes, there is. And that place is at the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only place that if you derive your value from that place, it will never change. There will be highs and there will be lows in life, but your value will never change. And so rather than lowering our self-esteem this morning, as we acknowledge that we are sinners, as we drink in just a moment the cup that represents the blood of Christ, we affirm that what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for us has nailed our value to his cross, and it can never change. Jesus Christ, on the night before he died, took the cup, a cup of wine, he spoke to his disciples and he said, this cup represents my blood, which was shed for your sins. And when you drink this cup, do so in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus Christ, we could and I suppose we will spend all of eternity thanking you, praising you for what you have done for us on our behalf. By taking communion this morning, we affirm that, Lord Jesus Christ, that you are the only acceptable sacrifice for the sins of humanity. And we affirm that your resurrection was proof of that, that you died, that you were buried, and that three days later you were raised from the dead, and that that proved that you were an acceptable sacrifice for our sins, that there is no other name by which people can be saved than your name, Lord Jesus Christ. We pray this now in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, in the next few moments, we're going to pray for the healing of a number of different groups of people in our church. I'll read the prayer request. You pray for it. 
and pray for anyone specifically that you know who fits into that category in our church. And then I'll move quickly to the next one. I just want you to know this. A number of years ago, gosh, it's been almost 30 years ago now, I took a class when I was in seminary that kind of had to take, it was a, actually I didn't have to take it, it was an elective, but it was the only, the only way I could get all my hours in. And the class was called The Theology and Practice of Prayer. I think it's so, well, that's another story. Anyway, the thing that I learned in that class that I still remember 30 years later and that encourages me tremendously is this. The teacher kept saying every single time we met, he said, God delights in answering the prayers of his people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that you're... Do you feel sometimes when you pray that you're trying to overcome the reluctance of God to answer prayer? That's not true. God loves to answer prayers. He loves to give good gifts to his children. And so, as we bring these petitions before the Lord, know this, that you are praying to a God who is both able and willing. Father, we come before you now with our prayers of petition, knowing that you love to hear our prayers, knowing that you love to answer our prayers, that you have the power to answer our prayers. Lord, we pray for the healing of those in our church who have lost loved ones, especially those whose hearts are still broken and whose tears are still fresh. Would you just take a moment and pray for anyone that you know in our church that would fit that description. Lord, we pray for the healing of men and women in our church who have experienced the pain of an unwanted divorce and for the children who have suffered the trauma of a broken home. Maybe that's you today. Maybe that's your children. Maybe you know someone that fits into this category. Would you pray for them? Pray for their healing. Healing of their soul. Father, we pray for the healing of those among us who have been victims of sexual abuse, rape, domestic violence, or emotional abuse at the hands of a spouse. That may seem far from you. That may seem like that's a remote thing, but I want to tell you that there are people in our congregation who have suffered these things, like every one of these things. Would you pray for their healing? What happens so often with these people is that they take the blame and the shame upon themselves when it is not theirs. Would you pray that God would heal their hearts, their minds, their souls? Lord, we pray today for the healing of those among us whose spirits have been wounded by legalistic perversions of the gospel. some among us who have been taught that God is an angry, angry judge looking for every single thing that you do wrong and condemns you for every one of those things. And that is scarring. Would you you pray for those people today?
Lord, we pray today for the healing of those among us whose spirits have been wounded by the criticism and condemnation of parents. church that their parents couldn't find anything nice to say about them. There's nothing that wounds a soul like that. Pray for their healing. Lord, we pray today for the healing of those among us who have been enslaved by self-destructive, addictive patterns of behavior. spoken to and worked with a number of people over the years who have some kind of addiction that they would tell you that they don't want that addiction. They would tell you that it's destructive and that they would like to have freedom from that. Would you pray for them? Maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe it's pornography that they're addicted to. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe it's drugs. Maybe it's a sex addiction of some kind. Maybe it's an eating disorder. Pray for those people. And Lord, we pray today for the healing of those among us who live with ongoing depression, anxiety, or other emotional illnesses. You pray for people that you know that fit into that category. Perhaps it's you. we pray for the physical healing of those among us who are beset by chronic illness or physical handicap. Lord, we pray for the healing of broken or strained relationships among us, including marriages. Jesus Christ said that the world would know that we are his disciples by our love for one another and that includes our marriages. Marriage is hard. Undoubtedly there are many strained marriages, even people among us this morning. Would you please pray for those marriages? Maybe it's your marriage. Lord, we pray for those among us who have yet to receive the life, the love, and the forgiveness that Jesus Christ offers through faith in his death and his resurrection. Would you pray for that, for those people? And I've been doing this for a long time. I know that there are people in any church that are going to church very faithfully for many, many years, maybe all their lives, but that they're counting on their own morality, their own goodness for their salvation because of that they are not in a relationship with Christ because the gospel is about his performance not ours would you pray for those people and then there are people here today who would tell you that what they've done in their past is so bad they can't possibly be forgiven or that before they could ever come to the Lord Jesus Christ that they need to clean up their lives. Would you pray for them? They would know that they can't clean up their lives and that Christ died for every sin that they've committed. 
past, present, and future. And Lord Jesus Christ, once again, we affirm that you are both willing and able, and that apart from your death on the cross, we would have no right to even ask these prayers. But we do so, Lord, in your name and according to your will. 